Heavenly Father, we approach you this morning. Thanking you that you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords. It's a name you've given to your son, Jesus. Because he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And here we are, Lord, uh, one week after Easter and after that celebration, God. And sometimes in our spirit it can be a little bit of a letdown. Because we feel like the big celebration is over. But, Father, we get to come here every week and celebrate the fact that Jesus is still Lord. That he is still risen. He is still on the throne of heaven. Seated at your right hand. And he still reigns. Father, I pray today that if there's anything that Satan has to try to discourage us or try to distract us this morning, God, I would pray that you would help us to be overcomers, just as it says in the book of Revelation, God, that those of us who overcome, you're going to bless us in so many ways. We pray that you would teach us to overcome right now. God, whatever Satan is throwing against us, we pray that you would teach us to get past that so we might focus on you. Lord, today we're going to talk a little bit about what Jesus did for the church and how we were on the outside looking in, but now, God, we, through Jesus Christ, are on the inside. God, we have been brought into your family. We have been brought into your kingdom. And so, Father, I give you praise for that. I pray you would preach that truth to our heart this morning. Be with us as a congregation. Be with us as a people, God. May your spirit permeate this place today through what's said and what's done. God, after Easter's over and after we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, then we look forward to the day of Pentecost. We look forward to the day where the spirit came and filled the church. In fact, the birthday of the church, if we want to put it in that terms, God, and the same spirit that filled that church is the same spirit that fills us today. And God, I pray you would help us to surrender to the Holy Spirit. You would help us to submit to His will in this service and in every aspect of our lives. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everyone said together, Amen. Before you're seated, greet a couple of people around you. Say howdy this morning to them. And then you may be seated. All right, you may be seated. Thank you so much for greeting each other in the name of the Lord this morning. Some of you may have you stand right back up because I just wanted to thank everybody. Last weekend we had a wonderful weekend uh, with it being Holy Weekend and uh, Good Friday or Good Friday service went great. And we had a good time of prayer on Holy Saturday and then we had wonderful services last Sunday morning. We're not sure because it's really hard to count these things, but over the weekend we served somewhere 
between 700 and 800 people, including some folks that came to the Easter egg hunt and the lunch that really didn't come to church, which is okay because we want them to come back. But somewhere around 750 to 800 people came through here, were either touched by the gospel or, or touched by those who love the Lord and touched by the Holy Spirit, we hope and pray. And so if you were any part of serving in that, working in that, whether you were on the worship team or whether you were on the hospitality team or whether you prepared the meal or whether you worked with the kids program or if you were part of that in any way serving during last weekend, would you stand so we could honor you for your service last weekend? Anyone who participated in any way? Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for serving. You can be seated, um, but we could not do that without a big team that's working together. And so we just praise God for that. Well, today we are beginning a new series, and I had a totally different name for this series planned, and I had a, a totally different direction I was going to go with this series. And I felt like over the last little while, God spoke to me and said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go a different direction and so we totally came up with a new name for this series. It's going to be called Walls Come Down. Walls Come Down. And uh, God breaks down walls that are between us. He breaks down walls that are between us and Him. He breaks down walls that are between us and each other. As human beings, we always erect barriers, sometimes for protection. And sometimes walls can be a good thing. There are certain walls that are good things, but there are certain walls that hinder us in our spiritual walk and in our walk with other people. And so this part of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 is all about Paul telling us what salvation has done for us, what salvation has done for the church. And part of that is bringing down walls that did not need to be there or did not need to stay there um, in the beginning. Um, Paul's beginning to describe the church really what it looks like really what it's all about. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, I read in one commentary, it said, this is one of the greatest explanations of what the church looks like since Jesus uh, was crucified, resurrected, and uh, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled the church. This describes what that should look like, especially in relationship to two main groups of people in this world. Um, but I want to start out by asking you a question this morning. Have you ever found yourself on the outside looking in, in a situation? Have you ever found yourself, there was a group, maybe you wanted to be part of that group, or, or maybe there was a situation you wanted to be engaged in, but you found that you were on the outside looking in at everybody else. And if you have ever felt that, I know that I have felt that, if you've ever felt that, man, that can feel real bad. It can, be, it can feel bad to be the one that wasn't picked in your PE class. Remember when they used to, I don't know if they still do that or not, but remember they would pick everybody to play and then you were the last one. And I was like the, the dude, I was like the boy that got picked after some of the girls. That always really stunk, you know. And uh, so we have situations like that that come up in life. When I was in eighth grade, I found myself on the outside looking in of a group of friends at the middle school where, where we went. It was eighth grade. Eighth grade had been a great year. And I had this group of guys that I hung out with. And some of them were part of this church. And some of them I knew from other places. But we'd always eat lunch together. And if we had classes together, a lot of times we would sit together if they would let us. And so they were just a bunch of real fun guys. And we would laugh and cut up. And we had a great time. For probably about three quarters of that year, I was part of this group of friends. But then we get toward the end of the year and something's happened that totally changed all that. And it was called baseball season. 
Now, when I was a kid, my dad was, if anybody remembers back in the past from this church, church leagues and stuff, my dad was a great softball player, great home run hitter. He can tell you all sorts of stories about his softball playing days. And dad always thought that his son would grow up to maybe be a great softball player, a baseball player. Dad was wrong. Uh, we, when I was little, we played C-ball and T-ball and all, the, all these little things. And the only thing I ever got in the, my years of doing that was most improved player. Which what that meant was you really, really stunk. Now you stink a little less. That's what they were giving me that award for. And so I gave that up. And actually basketball became my favorite sport to play and to watch and everything else. Um, but because I wasn't very good at baseball, all these guys that I hung out with when baseball season hit in eighth grade, they all tried out for the team. Most of those guys made the team. And all of a sudden, my friends that I'd hung out with all year and that I was close with, I'd go to the lunch table and they were all talking about baseball. And I was over here to the side and I was like, uh, not talking about baseball, not playing baseball right now. How about those comic books? You know, stuff like that. And so I had to eventually just had to kind of gravitate toward the nerd herd. The jocks kind of just said, you know what? You're not going to be part of us anymore. You got to go and you got to be part of another group. But what I'm telling you that is I found myself on the outside looking in. And that can be kind of a painful situation in any part of our life. When we're young, middle-aged, older, if we feel like we're not part of the group, that can really hurt us. Well, Paul's writing here in Ephesians and he says, Hey, I want you guys to remember this. Ephesians, or the churches around the city of Ephesus. Remember that before Jesus, you were on the outside looking in. Remember that before Jesus came, you were on the outside of the in group. Let's read it. Let's see what Paul teaches here. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. The Ephesian church, those that were around the Ephesian church that this circular letter would have probably gone to, all of us, unless we were Jewish, we were on the outside looking in. We were not God's chosen people. We were not the ones that he had decided to work with and to use as a testimony to the world. Let me give you real quick like an overview of salvation history. We know in the beginning that God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in this garden. And in this garden, God said, look, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to rule over this earth. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and basically spread the image of God because the image of God in the earth is found in man. It's found within us. We are a reflection of God's image. I want you to spread this image all over the world and fill the earth and subdue the earth and rule over the earth. But Adam and Eve messed up. Satan came into the scene and he basically said to them, Look, Adam and Eve, God is holding out on you. His best stuff, he's never given you. He's not giving you the knowledge to be like him. He's not giving you the wisdom to be like him. If you'll eat of this tree, I know that God said don't do this. But has God really said that? 
Satan still uses that line a lot of times today, too, about certain su- subjects that may come up. Has God really said that? Did God really mean what he said there? And so Eve, first of all, was deceived, and she listened to the serpent, and she took of the fruit, and she ate of the fruit. And a lot of times we say it was an apple, but the Bible never says that. That's just kind of an inference that we've made. But she took of the fruit, and she ate it, and then the Bible says she turned and she gave it to her husband. Now you say, okay, so it was the woman's fault. I got you. I'm fine. You guys are saying that. But no, really, Adam was the one who was supposed to be in charge. Adam was the one who was the authority in that situation. Adam, instead of letting his wife get caught up into this, should have stepped up and he should have been the man that he needed to be and he should have protected her from what's going on. Still in our day and time, we find that in a lot of households. The man won't be the man. The man won't step up the way he needs to in spiritual things. And so his wife and his children suffer because he won't step up. He steps back when he should step up. He, he lets things go on when he should be the defender of the household. And so Adam and Eve fell and all of a sudden sin and death and all this evil entered the world. It was a good, it was a perfect place. The garden was supposed to, the, the reign of the garden was supposed to be spread all around the world and it did not happen because sin entered the world. And so God is working with mankind at this point. He's working with everybody at this point. But man, they're messed up by this point. Sin has come in and sin is just wreaking havoc. It, the world goes terrible quick. We find the first murder with two brothers, Cain killing his brother Abel, and all of a sudden murder has entered the world. And there's, one, there, there's people who want to take revenge against Cain, and so this becomes a problem, and all sorts of things start to fall apart here. And the world eventually gets so bad that by the time of a guy named Noah, by the time of a guy named Noah, God says, look, I'm repenting, and, and that means different than what it means for us. But I repent that I made man. I've got to, I've got to wipe this thing out and start all over again because it's become so exceedingly wicked. And so God finds one good man and he finds his family. One good man with three sons. And so you've got one good man and his wife, three sons and their wives, eight people in all. And God says, I'm going to start a new humanity. I'm going to start all over. This one has been, become so corrupt. And so uh, so messed up, I'm going to have to start everything over. And so God sends a flood. And God wipes out all of humanity. If you ever go to the ark in Kentucky, we went there last year. If you ever go there, and I'm not sure I, I, I believe everything just like the creator of this ark believes it, but there's a lot of things we would line up on. But one of the things I like that he says is, really, Noah's ark should not probably be used as something for children. It probably shouldn't be used as some little cute motif that we paint on the wall because this was about the death and destruction of every person in the human race except for eight people. It was not a happy thing. It was not a silly thing. It was not a fun thing. It was the severe wrath of God falling on a sinful people. And so God wipes everything out and he starts all over with this man and his family so that a new humanity can come forth. And as soon as we find Noah gets off the ark, and before Noah has, has gone very far, far at all, he plants a vineyard, he gets drunk, one of his sons violates him. We're not sure exactly how that all went down, and, and ends up with his son being cursed. And before, it's, before it gets very far at all, sin is already wreaking havoc again. And so God works with mankind again, trying to work with Noah and trying to work with what's happened here. 
And that lasts for a while. But then eventually the people get together in a plain called the plain of Shinar. And they decide they're going to build a tower to worship false gods. Now, you have always probably heard of the Tower of Babel. And I don't, I don't know if, if you're like I was when I was a kid and I heard about the Tower of Babel. I imagined something like the Empire State Building. A building going straight up just as tall as they could because they said they were going to build something that reached all the way to heaven. And so I, I thought as a kid, I thought, well, don't they know there's no oxygen up there? Don't they know if you get past the atmosphere, you're going to suffocate? You can't get up to heaven. Even as a little kid, I thought about that. But that's not what this means when they said, let us build a tower to heaven. This is called a ziggurat. Sounds kind of like a cigarette, but no, a ziggurat. This was in Mesopotamia in that area. This is the kind of temple that they would build to worship their gods. And because they don't have steel and they don't have the construction, but didn't have the construction materials that we have now, they actually build it as a stepped pyramid so the bigger parts would support the smaller parts. And that top part, which here is depicted in blue, was the place that they would go and they thought that was the place where heaven touched earth. That was the place where the gods touched down with man. And that was their chief place of worship. Their highest place of worship was the place that here is depicted in blue on the top of this cigarette. Guess what they called it? Heaven. They called it heaven. We're building a tower to heaven. That didn't mean they were going to build a tower up to where God was somewhere out in outer space or, or something like that. No, that meant we are building a place of worship where heaven and earth are going to touch each other. And it became so evil. And you always become like the God you worship, by the way. Whatever you worship, you're going to eventually become like that thing. If you worship money, you're going to become greedy and you're going to become money obsessed and you're going to become stingy. If you worship whatever God you worship, that is going to be the thing you become like. If we worship the true God, eventually through Jesus, we're going to become like him. And that's really, really good news. But God looked down. In fact, the Bible says he came down and he saw what was going on here. And he knew if they continued to worship these gods in this way, then mankind was just going to be lost. They were just going to go out and they were going to become powerful and they were going to set themselves up as gods on this earth and, and every, he was going to have no connection with them because they were going to be connecting to evil, evil, wicked things. And so God actually sent confusion among those people. And those people scattered and went different directions. He confused their languages. And what happens when we confuse our language? I, I guarantee you this. If you ever hear somebody talking in another language... Your first assumption is going to be they're talking about what? Talking about me. I know what they're doing over there. They're talking about me, you know. And so we naturally become suspicious of people who are talking in a different language. And so we start to move away from them. That's what happened here. They started to separate. They started to divide. But God did that because of mercy. He did that out of mercy because if they had stayed concentrated in this place of worship, they would have gotten so far into evil, there would have been no redemption that would have been possible. And so God worked with the whole world at that point. And so God's tried working with the world before the flood, and that didn't work. He tried working with the world before this happened, and that didn't work. So God has a new plan. His plan is he's going to pick one man, and he's going to take that one man and turn him into a mighty nation, and he's going to work through that nation. He's going to find a man of faith, and God did find a man of faith. Living among the pagans, living among those who worship false gods, he found a man named Abram. 
And most of you, if you know your Bible history, he goes from being Abram to being Abraham, the father of many nations. And God, our God, is a promise-making God, so he made a covenant with Abraham. He made an agreement with Abraham. In fact, if you look at, at Genesis chapter 15, God actually makes a covenant in such a way, basically saying, Abraham, if I don't keep my covenant to you, may I die to keep this covenant. Which God cannot die unless he sends his son to the cross. But Abraham didn't know about all that. Abraham had to look forward and see that in faith. But God, God makes a covenant with Abraham, a promise with Abraham. And it's found in Genesis chapter 12, at least the first part is. And God gives Abraham seven promises. Seven things that he says to Abraham. The first thing that God says to Abraham is, I will bless you. Abraham, I'm personally going to be good to you individually. I'm going to do good things for you. And Abraham became rich and wealthy and, and his flocks expanded. And back in those days, you were judged how wealthy you were by how many animals you had. And Abraham's flock expanded and, and his family eventually expanded. And, and so God started to bless him and to bless Sarah because of him. So that was the first blessing. The second blessing is, I will make you into a great nation. Now, the nation that God made Abraham into is a nation called Israel. Is Israel still around? Yeah, and what's amazing about that is, it's gone out of existence basically two times, and God brought it back. That just doesn't happen. The only other nation I know anything like that about is Poland. It has gone out of existence almost a couple of times, and God brought it back. Um, but outside of those two, I don't know of any other so God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You know, the three, three major world religions honor Abraham as, in some sense, a founder of those religions. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. All three honor Abraham as one of the founders of those religions. So his name is great in all three of these world religions. God says, I will make you a blessing. You take Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. Lot is blessed through Abraham. He makes some bad choices. He moves to a bad area, and that goes bad. But Lot is blessed for Abraham's sake, and other people are blessed because of Abraham. God then says, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham. You know, still in world history, and I believe this still, I don't believe this covenant has ever been broken as far as this blessing that's on the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Those who have cursed Israel, those who have come against Israel, have fallen into all sorts of problems. That's the next one. God is going to curse those who curse you. But those who have blessed Israel have found blessing in their lives and in their nations. And so God says, if somebody comes against you, I'm coming against them. And if somebody blesses you, I'm going to bless them, Abraham. I'm going to continue to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And then number seven, he says, Abraham, I will bless all people through you. Not just the Jewish people. I'm going to bless everybody through you. And so at this point, God has a chosen people. God has chosen his people, his person, his nation, that at this point he's going to work through. Abraham's descendants, the Jews or Israel. By the way, Israel, this is probably just good biblical knowledge for you. Israel means struggles with God or wrestles with God. And that seems to be Israel's motif through the years. They wrestle with God. They would serve God and then they would walk away from him. And then God would bring in some sort of judgment and they'd return to him. And it, it, there's been a struggle with God, but they've always been God's people. 
God has a chosen people. And that's really great if you're a Jew. But most of us are not. Most of us would be what the Bible describes as Gentiles. And so if you're not a Jew at this point, before Jesus, if you're not a Jew, you're on the outside looking in. There's some things the Bible teaches in what we just read about this. If you're not a Jew, you are not part of God's covenant people. He has not made that promise to you. He's made it to Abraham and his descendants. If you're not a Jew, you aren't part of God's chosen nation. I know we always think the United States is, we always say, the greatest nation in the world. And I remember back a couple of election cycles ago, Mitt Romney kept saying, America is the hope of the world. And I would kind of cringe when he said that. I kind of understood what he meant. But I would always think Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, not America. America is only the hope of the world in, in as much as we follow Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one. So we're, we're not part of the chosen nation. If you're not a Jew, you don't have a Messiah slash Savior who's been promised to you at this point. You really don't have any hope. You really don't have any true God. You say, Brandon, you think you believe all that? You think all that's true? Well, yeah, that's what we just read. That's what Paul said. Where, that's where we were before Jesus. We were on the outside looking in. There was a dividing wall, a wall that divided humanity, and most of us were on the wrong side of that wall. I know my, my wife did one of these uh, um, DNA tests and everything, and we were surprised when it came back that she was a certain percentage Jewish. She did not realize that. But it was definitely not high enough to say that my wife is Jewish. She had some Jewish ancestry. But we are, most of us are Gentiles. Most of us were on the outside looking in at God's promise. But remember God's last promise to Abraham? I listed those seven things that God promised. Look, Abraham, here's my covenant with you. Here's how I'm going to bless you. Do you remember what number seven was? I will bless all people through you. Not just the Jewish people. Not just those who are of the circumcision. I'm going to bless all people through you. Well, how is God going to get this done? How is God going to bless everybody in the earth through Abraham? Well, this is how. The Savior of the world would come through the line of Abraham. The Savior of the world would come through that Jewish line. And Paul says, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Savior, those of us who were outside looking in, those of us who weren't God's chosen people, those of us who were basically in the wrong part of the world, we've now been brought into the family. We've now been brought into the kingdom. We've now been brought into God's people, being part of God's people, by the blood of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so that's good news. That would be like if those guys, when I was in eighth grade, said, Hey, dude, we know you ain't playing baseball, but you're one of our friends. Come on and hang out with us and talk with us. Don't worry if you don't play baseball. We're still cool. They didn't do that. But if they had done that, that would have been kind of what Jesus did in saying, Look, I'm bringing all people in. I'm a light to the whole world, not just a light to the Jews, but a light to the Gentiles as well. And I know, and I know, and I'm preaching to you stuff that you're like, Brent, what does this really mean to me? What does this really mean to my life? We don't talk, especially around here, we don't talk that much about Jew and Gentile, and there's not this big division or anything like that. Well, if you can help you, if I can help you understand it at all, it's this, that you were on the wrong side. You were lost, and now you've been brought in. It's almost like an orphan who'd been abandoned. This happened in the early church a lot. 
those who followed Jesus in the early days of Christianity. If in Rome, if you had any sort of defect, if you had any sort of thing wrong with you as a child, they would cast you out and oftentimes they would leave you by the side of the road and, and, and you were just there to survive on your own. A lot of times exposure would kill the little baby or, or maybe wild animals or something like that. And that's the way that they got rid of those who had some sort of problem. But the early Christians would go and they would find these babies. They would hear them crying by the side of the road or out in a field. And instead of leaving them there to die like all the Romans did, these early Christians would go and they'd take that baby and they'd wash it up and clean it up and they'd bring it into their household and they would adopt it as a son or a daughter. And this is very much what Jesus has done for us. He found us when we were cast out. He found us when we were beside the road and, and not part of everything. And he came and brought us into the family. And so that's really good news is what Jesus has done for us through the cross and through his resurrection and through his blood. And so it's not that we're blood kin that saves us now. It's that we're blood bought that saves us. Jesus has purchased us through his blood. So now it's up to Jew and Gentile alike, whether you are a Jew, whether you are one of God's chosen nation or whether you are a Gentile, it's up to all of us to accept what Jesus has done for us. And I know you will run into some teachers and it's, it's usually because of a certain framework they have of how all the end times are going to play out and all that. They'll basically say, if you're Jewish, then you're good just by your ethnicity. And these are Christian Bible teachers who will say, just by your ethnicity, just by the virtue of being born Jewish, you're already one of God's chosen people. You're good. You don't have to accept Jesus Christ. You're already saved. I don't believe that. I believe the Bible teaches now that since Jesus has come and since his salvation has appeared to all men, that all men and all women have to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Jew and Gentile alike, we all now come to the Father only through Jesus Christ. There's a video I want to show you, kind of to finish up this morning. And uh, I think you're going to love this guy in this video. I think he's an older guy, but he's, he's just, he's funny, he's great. I think you're going to love his testimony. Um, his name is actually Israel. And uh, I want you to listen as he tells of how he came to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ for his salvation. You're going to love this. Let's watch this together. I mean, I heard about some of these, these guys like John the Baptist. He's a Baptist. I found out later on he's Jewish. St. Paul, Jewish? Yeah, Jewish. St. Peter, how can anybody by the name of St. Peter be Jewish? Guess what? I found out they're all Jewish. Now, I grew up in Philadelphia in a Jewish neighborhood on the other side of the street. That was mostly Gentiles. These poor Gentiles, they were to worship a statue. Some of those people had statues in their lawns. At the age of eight years old, I joined the Cub Scouts, which is part of the Boy Scouts. They had a, they have, they still probably have this today, a, a magazine. It's called Boy's Life Magazine. And in that magazine, they had the instructions on how to build a crystal radio. I was so excited. It was it was like I was in heaven with this radio that worked. I would rush home from school and put on the earphones and I was hearing these people talking about Jesus on the short wave. They were like, the same time I was preparing for my bar mitzvah and my rabbi told me, never believe in Jesus and never read the New Testament. That's a Gentile book and Jesus is for the Gentiles. I joined the Navy in 1960 and wound up in a, in a drill hall with 400 guys. Now, this is the first time in my life I was ever away from my mother and father. 
They taught me how to smoke a cigarette. Uh, you know, oh, I was coughing like crazy. They said, real sailors drink whiskey. And that was burning my throat. I did it because I wanted to be a real sailor. I wound up getting drunk every night. Wound up going out with, with women that I shouldn't be doing. Sometimes, deep down inside of me, I was saying, man, this doesn't feel right. Something's wrong here. This doesn't seem right. You see, when you join the Navy, I don't know if they do this today anymore, but this was back in 1960. We were naked and had our hair shaved, and then we went to the line to get our uniforms and stuff. At the end of the line, they said Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish. So they gave you a Bible. I had my Tanakh. I had my little, my Jewish scriptures. I don't know what you do with the Bible. I thought, you know, it might be like a rabbit's foot, good luck charm, or maybe it'd be like my grandmother's chicken soup. Anytime I was sick, my grandmother said, have some matzo ball soup, have some chicken soup. It'll, I said, will it help? She said, it couldn't hide, you know? I said, well, I have a Bible. Will it help? Well, couldn't hide, you know? Uh, one of the sailors uh, that I was with in the Navy said to me, you're Jewish, right? I said, yeah. Do you have a Bible? I said, sure, I have a Bible. They gave it to me when I joined the Navy. He said, let me see your Bible. And he turned in my Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. He said, here, read this. I read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53. I said, wait a minute. This sounds like those folks across the street. This sounds like the Gentiles. This sounds like what I was hearing on the short wave. They made a mistake. They gave me New Testament. And my rabbi told me, never read the New Testament. You better take this because this is for you. This is not my Bible. So no, no, look, Hebrew Publishing Company. <gasps> Hebrew Publishing Company. What's, this is crazy. What's Jesus doing in my Bible? He said, well, he's your Messiah. He's my Messiah. I, I was shocked, and he said, would you like to read about that in the New Testament? I said, uh, well, I can't read the New Testament because my rabbi told me never read uh, the New Testament. And he looked around over here, and he looked over here, and he says, I'll make a deal with you. If you don't tell your rabbi that you read the New Testament, I won't tell him either. I thought about that for a minute. Okay, but I was scared. I thought lightning was going to strike me. I actually thought I was going to be struck by lightning. I expected it to be a Gentile book. I expected it to take place in Rome with a bunch of popes talking about Catholic things and statues. What surprised me is how Jewish the New Testament really is. It's the most Jewish book I ever read. The more I, I, I read the scriptures, the more I, I was was praying... I realized that inside I was not, not clean. Inside, I had all kinds of anger. I was getting drunk every night. I was going with the women. I was smoking three packs of Linfilter Palm all day, coughing like crazy. I was making pretend like I enjoyed it. I didn't want to make pretend anymore. I didn't want to live that way anymore. Now it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm in the barracks, big barracks. And I had a blanket all the way over, and and the light was shining on the New Testament. And I I prayed, you know, Baruch Atah Lord Jesus, I'm here. Uh, um, I want to believe in you. And I went to bed. May 16, 1961, came to faith in, in the Messiah. That's just so important in my life. It's it's a a, a, a moment that totally, completely changed the revolution of my life. Even if I was the very last person on earth, Jesus would still have died for me. And I am confident that when I die, I'll go to be with him. I mean, I heard about somebody... I mean, I heard about some of these, 
He's got We've already seen you. We don't want to see you again. All right. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for the entire world. That's the good news. It's no longer limited to a race or an ethnicity or a nation or anything like that. Jesus died for everybody. If they're living and breathing, Jesus died for them. If you don't know him, he died for you too. And I know we talked a lot about the Jews and the Gentiles today and how that all worked out because that's where we are in the book of Ephesians. But if you don't hear anything else that I say today, understand, Jesus died for you. He laid his life down for you so that you could become part of his family. He does not want you to be on the outside looking in. He wants you to be on the inside. He wants you to be nearer and nearer and nearer to God. I like what Israel said in that video. He he said, "I, I didn't feel like I was clean. You know, in in Judaism, they had this idea of kosher, that it's clean, that it's right, that it's 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 within the boundaries of of the Jewish law and tradition. And foods are kosher, and and, and lots of other habits are kosher habits. And if you don't keep that, then you're not kosher and you're not clean. If you study, a lot of Jews who've come to Jesus Christ will say that Jesus made them kosher, that they were not clean. No matter what kind of law they tried to keep, no matter what kind of food they tried to eat, they were not clean until they came through the blood of Jesus Christ and then he made them clean. And it's the same thing for us. A lot of times we have done things in our lives that we know are wrong. They make us feel dirty. They make us feel outside of where we should be with God. They make us feel like we're on the outside looking in. And you are. If you haven't repented of those things, if you haven't turned to God through Jesus Christ, you are on the outside looking in. So used to, there was two groups of people in the world. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. Now there's only two groups of people in the world also. It's those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. But Jesus wants you to be on the inside. He wants you to know the Father through Him. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And He can make you clean. Jesus was the perfect Jew. In fact, he was the perfect man. And when he laid his life down on the cross, it was a sacrifice for all our sins, everything that we've ever done wrong. And if you're here today and you feel like you're dirty and you feel like you're you're sinful and you feel like that you're not fit to be in the kingdom of heaven, you probably are right. But you don't have to leave here that way. Jesus can clean you up right now through his blood. Two steps to it. You repent of your sins. That means you confess your sins. You say, I'm a sinner. God, I'm doing wrong. And you turn from those sins and you turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And you say, I don't know if I understand all of it. Just like that simple prayer. It cracks me up in that video. He he says, you know, Jesus, you know, I want to know you. And then he fell asleep. And then he woke up a Christian. Because God knows our hearts. And no matter what we say and no matter how simple the prayer is, he knows our hearts if we really want to come to him. And he'll take us and he'll clean us up and he'll set us on the right path. And it won't be an easy path, but it'll be a path that leads to glory. And I just wonder if there's anybody here today who would say, you know what? I get what you're saying, Brent. I don't get all of it, maybe, but I I get what you're saying. I get that Jesus can make me clean. I get that he can make me part of God's family. And I want to experience that. I want to be part of that. I I want to be made new today. I wonder with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would just, if that's you, If you would just raise your hand and say, that's me today. I want to know Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to follow him. I want want his blood to make me clean. I want his blood to make me new. 
Is that anybody here who would say, I need to do that today. I need to go out of this place different than I came in. Anyone who would say, I want Jesus to be my Messiah. I want Him to be my Savior. I want Him to be my Lord. Anyone who needs that today, it can happen just in an instant. All you have to do is admit you're a sinner and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Anyone. All right, you can look back up at me now. Is there anybody here who would say, if I'm honest with myself, I've experienced Jesus. He's changed my life. I've been made new, but I hardly ever tell anybody about it. And I need to be better at telling people that Jesus can make me new, can make them new, that he can clean them up and he can save them from their sins. Is that you today? Is that anybody would say, I need to be better at telling that story. I need to be better at sharing my testimony. I need to be more bold in speaking and witnessing about my faith. Thank you guys for your honesty. Me too. Let's stand together. On the way out, remember our giving box. Remember our tithes and offerings on the way out. That supports this ministry so more people can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for who you are. I give you thanks that, God, you have been working with this world ever since it fell. You've been working with this world to try to redeem us from our sins. And God, thank you so much that when you sent Jesus, redemption came to this world. That through his blood we are saved, that we can be made clean, that we can be made pure, that we can be healed and we can be part of his family and your family, God. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, you would continue to work on their hearts. You would continue to, to chase after them, Father. And I pray that they would accept you and that they would follow you for all the days of their life. Thank you for the salvation we've been given. I pray you would help us to be more bold in expressing it, God. You would help us to be good witnesses for you by our lives and also by our words. Thank you for meeting with us this morning, God. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great week.